Pulitzer Prize awardee Charles Gordon and Dr. Harrison T. Meserol at Texas A&M. His most recently produced plays was called Something Like the Weather, and that debuted at the Theater Center in Philadelphia. Um, tonight he'll be presenting us with The Adolescent Human, and this is his first completed manuscript of poetry and prose. And he's working on a new manuscript, and most recent readings have been in the Other Voices series with Amy Clampett at the Pyramid, The Painted Bride in Philadelphia, and he was one of our slammers here at the New Yorkan Poetry Slam on Friday nights. So you should come down and check that out also. So, without further ado, Edward K. Brown. Thank you. Uh, my first poem I'm going to read is entitled The Mark of Max, Static Voices Ignored. Morning. Could you tell me which way it is to the nearest grocery store? Max had no clue. As the city's shoe attendant of the streets, he focused his attention to the job at hand. He studied his reflection in the shoes. Max was concerned, deeply concerned. Make a right at the corner and go down four blocks. You'll find a 7-Eleven there. Hey, make sure you get the bottoms. Looking up at the smooth face. I usually save the Windex for car windows, but I will use it this one time, especially for you. Max enjoyed patronizing his patrons. He did not speak often, so when he had the opportunity, he seized it. Thinking of the friendly dog around the corner while watching the man walk away, his mouth curved slightly as, the, as he crumpled the dollar. How? Max tried not to care. He could only worry about his immediate, his present reality. Bitter thoughts, chewed lips, clasped hands. Max lived in his own nature, taking a walk. The streets were busy, busy not with pedestrians, but with pigeons. Dressed in dirt, the pigeons pecked at the ground. In unison, the pigeon's head rose as Max passed by. They sensed something about him, but as he continued on, the pigeons went back to their pecking, their search for a decent meal. Max, walking through the pigeon parade, liked the idea that they lived off the streets. Taking off his cap, he wondered if he could eat them. Placing his cap back on, he decided to go to the park. Finding a bench one with a trash can adjacently placed. Quickly, Max claimed his territory and searched silently for his meal. The pigeons flocked to his side. Time for eats. Max, turning his head as if he were a child, cramming his hands into Mommy's purse to find some candy, pulled out a grimy package. Ooh, what do we have here? The anticipating crowd's eyes were upon Max, the package, and each other. It's a surprise! The crowd fluttered. Max laughed and he hid his and hid his meal behind his back. You belong in a coop. He turned and forced down his delicacy. Once finished, he kicked his feet at the crowd, dispersing them, and hurried back to the corner. Upon arrival, he discovered that his materials were missing. My Windex! Blurred, Max tried to figure a different way of earning an income. Solved. He prepared himself. Back in the bushes, I can feel the beat. I imagine I'm in a jungle, but actually I'm on the street. 
People pass by, they laugh, they cry. They wonder who I am, for they cannot look me in the eye. People think that I'm dirty, that I'm just a slob. However, I am a person, a person with no real job. But I work real hard, like an animal in the city zoo. For if I didn't, I would starve in reality, still homeless, still blue. I have not lost respect for nature. I am no fool. I am living in a jungle where survival is the golden rule. I listen for the beat. I can hear it come. Mister, can you spare a quarter? This is my life as a bum. Something hit Max on the side of his head, awakening him from his daze. Finding a quarter, he heard a man shout, Coffee! Max disliked coffee, and he detested handouts, let alone throwouts. But he swallowed his costless quarter, for it was his best-tasting meal. It made him feel warm. It gave him the energy to move on. Max looked down the street. Some pigeons were perched on the corner. Looking in the other, did a marooned. His mind could not carry him from this plight, so he walked, searched, and hoped. As the day settled in the late afternoon, Max found himself amongst the pigeons. These can't be the same ones. These can't. He could no longer tolerate his street colleagues. They disturbed him. To Max, the pigeons were like chickens, dirty little chickens, yet they were distinguished like doves dirty little doves. He raked his face in anguish. Within those pigeons, he saw his own reality. Get away from me! Fly away! Leave me alone! Max closed his heart. He wanted to stop. There was nothing left. Mark them all! He ran down the street, spitting as he went. The daily pedestrians moved from his path. A couple of police officers pulled Max aside, calmed him down, seated him, and stood beside him, hoping that the people would go about, go about their business. Max, wringing his own neck, asked where was Thoreau when he needed him most. The officers looked at each other and shrugged their shoulders. There was no answer for Max. He retreated into his coop. He closed his eyes. Air rushed through his nostrils. He jittered and made a grumbling noise as he went into his deep, deep, deep sleep. I lie in bed, lost in my head. I laugh, I cry, I'm crazy, I want to die. I see my thoughts, I reach at it. It's an illusion. Shit. What was that? I hear my thinking. I'm confused. No, it was nothing. On my body stands my hair. I lie in bed with no one nowhere. I say to myself, is it real? I lie in bed with my thoughts I feel. I lie in bed, the tension mounts. I remember it is the thought that counts. In bed I lie, lost, waiting to die. Max finally allowed his mind to lie fallow. By this time, a crowd had formed. Their heads turned, looking at Max, the officers, each other, for they had never seen something so absurd. It's too bad we can't eat him. Yeah, he is a fat one, isn't he? The officers, the officers tried to disperse the crowd by kicking their feet at them. Upon doing so, the crowd flew away, leaving their mark on Max and the officers. Damn pigeons. Hey, don't sweat it. 
How about we have some coffee at the uh, donut shop? Oh yeah, sounds good. Wiping off the public's problems, the two walked away, leaving Max at peace, feeling like priests. Old woman in the city. A woman wearing sunglasses, thrift store clothing, and her old man's fishing cap made her way to the market. The items? Tomatoes, onion, lettuce, mayo, mustard, bread, etc. With an angled elbow and her stretched-to-fit grocery bag, the woman vehemently refused help from the scout. Prideful innocence. The sun, sweltering waves, fathomless degrees licking her pastely painted lips. Lemon water ice, please. The bait, the bite, a struggle for spite, too late. With plastic remnants, the old woman can only say, bastard shark stole my tuna. Hmm. Central Park Spring. The glistening water ripples as the breeze hums through the willow like a woodwind. Delightfully ducks away next to a demure island decorated by defecating domestics. Yonder is an overpass with ivy passing under as the sparrows within the trees call home the sun. tete-a-tete dinner two touching feet dancing two cheek to cheek silhouettes two looking like one cigarettes two shots of rum yeah How much time do I have, Miguel? Five, seven minutes? Oh, cool. Uh, let's see here. Uh, a blue baby boy. I'll read two more. A blue baby boy. Read three. A blue baby boy. The day began early for Sarah. She awakened before her alarm. Today, for some reason, she was ahead of schedule. Hmm. She rolled out of bed and looked out the window. The sun is hiding behind the clouds. Sarah scratched the back of her leg while staring into the view. The somber yellow, like a well-cooked egg yolk, hypnotically stirred Sarah. Every morning she arose to the announcing rays of the sun. The sky and its clouds, the clouds and their shapes, the shapes and their meaning. The sky was Sarah's Rorschach. Time for breakfast. Sarah rubbed her stomach as she made her way stiff-leggedly into the kitchen. She was in no hurry. Her alarm had not gone off yet. Jerry stayed in bed. In his life, time, place were of no concern. He lived for her, for Sarah. Jerry's industrious character contented him. It moved him, and now sleeping with his face in a pillow, he awakened. He yawned, stretched, felt Sarah, Sarah, the alarm has not gone off yet. Or has it? Jerry pulled the covers around himself and got out of bed. 
looks like another dreary day. His hair was matted and his feet were bare. He took light, courtly steps on the cold floor. Sarah was busy slicing a tomato. Good morning, Caesar. Did you sleep well? Jerry moved about the kitchen, making mental notes. We have to get ready, you know, pack. The pack poofed from his pickled breath. Brush your teeth before you talk to me. Here, eat this. Sarah placed a sky with a slice of tomato on the table. Enjoy. Jerry sat down. She did it to me again. Sarah seemed to do that, turn his dreariness into liveliness. Good morning, Sarah. She went back to bed. Gotta get ready. Jerry hunched over his plate and moved cautiously as he tried to keep the blanket from sliding off his shoulders. Coffee. He looked around and found the instant. They were a lovely couple. They were easily pleased. Their lives did not contain much adversity or diversity. Just the two of them. That was everything. Jerry went back to bed. The day was still young. Jerry yawned and looked over to Sarah. Wake up. Hmm. Jerry figured that she did not want to be disturbed. Sitting up in bed, he tried to recall his dream. Now what was it? Screaming? Yes, screaming. Jerry looked out looked at the window. The sun shone through the blue curtains, forcing the white walls to embrace the shade. He viewed the blue, the blue hue on the wall as it changed when the clouds passed. As the hue deepened, the calmer the clamor of his recall. As the hue became more intense, his auditory recall sharpened. The screaming bounced in his head. The bright, impotent blue illuminated his bed. The room began to dance as the clouds quickened. Jerry rubbed his ears, rubbed his eyes. The dream contrasts. What is it? What is what? Are you sure you want to do this? Sarah rubbed Jerry's leg. Scaredy cat, you have no balls, she laughed, giving a playful grasp. Sure, you can talk. What time do we leave? No reply. If she told him, he would become angry, and she did not feel like castling with him. Glances. These types of trips aren't planned. I mean, I know when, but I prefer spontaneity. Lie down, relax. Pretend you're on vacation. Let me do the worrying. Sour spoke with confidence. She hated to be interrogated. The clouds covered the sun. The room remained a cool indigo. Sarah had done it to him again. She could lower his temperament. She knew what the blue meant. She knew the sky. All right, second to last. I will never understand why I was such a glutton for punishment. When I was in elementary school, I always tried to express the magnificence of my name. On the first day of class, the teacher asked the students to stand up and introduce themselves. When it was my turn, I poised myself as if I was one of our colonial forefathers. My name is Robert E. Stevenson III. The E stands for Emmanuel. The class roared. I should have expected it. I was a first grade snob. I wonder what would become of me. In middle school, I loved history. I imagined my life. In class, I imagined my life. I figured that I was a sapling on the historical family tree. 
When I told my teacher, she agreed that I was a sap and sent me to the corner to think about it. I hated, I hated the name Bob. It was easy to remember and hard to forget, a cliche in all respects. But I was a fun-loving guy. My high school friends thought so. Bob, you go along everything, they would say. Little boy Bob, Bob the basketball player, Bob the boy wonder, and their favorite, you're full of bullshit, Bob. My name started to mean something to me, but I didn't know what. It wasn't until, it wasn't until later that I could say my name without open to writing, but then I realized how fallacious my name had become, how fallacious I had become. Now in college, I am lost. I'm a rebel. And lastly, to end off the evening, three musicians. Two bongos and a steel drum posed between two girders on a platform play the underground circuit. The crowds pass by the trio. Such flows the rhythm fluently with amazing grace. Thanks and good night. That was Ed Brown and the Adolescent Human. I wonder what I am. <laughs>